Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Exploring Middle Earth podcast. Yes, welcome. Yes, I'm Grant, and that is Jay yeah, next to me right. talking, the other guy yeah. talking. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, so today we are going to go over chapters 13 and 14 of the Fellowship of the Ring with our little deep dive series that we're doing. Uh, chapters 13 and 14 are Many Meetings and the Council of Elrond, and these are the last two chapters of Book 1 of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. Oh. Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, <laughs> Finley laid down on the mic, or, or my headphones, I yeah. think, and it like oh. cut out. Just, well, it's it's good now, oh, okay. but it cut out just for a second, so I was like, what the heck? Grant's dog is our tech guy. Oh, she, is it <laughs> she keeps doing it. Here, let me see. It's, yeah. Yep. Here, I'll just move her paw out of the way. There. And then and then extend her paw again so she doesn't get arthritis when she's old. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you can keep all that in. I don't care. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so we're going through the last two chapters of The Fellowship of the Ring, um, or book one of The Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so just doing a little deep dive. Jay, why don't you take it away with many meetings? Okay. So if you guys remember, just a refresher from last uh, chapter, chapter 12. Frodo had been stabbed by the Morgul Blade, and uh, he is uh, taken to Rivendell, but he's unconscious. And the Black Riders were uh, uh, defeated, not defeated, but like put off by the water, so they got, they're gone, dude. They're not there anymore. That's right. So Frodo awakes sev- several days later uh, in bed in Rivendell. And he's shocked to see Gandalf sitting nearby, but he's relieved because if you remember up to this point, they don't really know where Gandalf is or what Gandalf is doing because they, um, they never got that letter, um, <coughs> or, uh, Bar- Barlaman Butterbird never gave yeah. him the information they needed from Gandalf. Um, so Gandalf tells Frodo that Elrond, the master of Rivendell, who you guys all know, healed Frodo's wound just in time, but a splinter of the Black Rider's knife had stayed in the Hobbit's shoulder and was working its way towards his heart. Uh, and if it had reached Frodo's heart, it would have turned him into a wraith just like the Riders. So not good. Yeah. Do you think it's kind of like a like a honing missile? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just like a it's just kind of <laughs> digging its way through. Yeah. I don't think I have a explosion sound effect. No, that would be cool. Swing. That's an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like the. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So, you want me to do the explosion? Yeah. Well, let's see if I can make a good explosion in in this microphone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. Uh, that was that was pretty good. I you know I'll. I'll if I remember I'll add some add a, add a bunch of effects to it yeah I'll add just a explosion sound effect over it so it sounds like you did really good boom yeah so um, Gandalf explains to Frodo that it was the Black Riders um, and that the Black Riders are ring wraiths and who they are you guys know who they are yes but he just explains to Frodo who the Black Riders are what they're doing who they work for and um, how they how they use the river to stop them. Uh, so now that Frodo is feeling better and well, he goes with his friends to dinner at Elrond's table. Um, a hall suitably, uh, a hall is suitably magical and impressive. Um, I would want to have dinner there. I assume you would too, Grant. Yeah, probably. Have a nice, good dinner there. I, you know what? I'd love to have a Sunday roast well, at, El- at Elrond's. Do elves are elves vegetarians? Well, okay. See, I've seen. I'm gonna look this up um, because I. I feel like in the movies it shows that they're vegetarians and especially mm-hmm. like in the Hobbit in the extended version when they have like um like lunch on the pavilion or whatever it's just like salad greens is what they're yeah. given the dwarves are given but I feel like it never mentions that in the actual books. Yeah, I'd have it, to look that up. It would probably mention it like in the Peoples of Middle-earth what's that one book or the history of Yeah, yeah, nat- somewhere the, in the nature of Middle-earth. Nature yeah. of Middle-earth or somewhere in the history of Middle-earth. Yeah, cuz if I had to guess they would be omnivores like just mm-hmm. regular people, but they would probably go light on the meat. Like they would yeah. probably do like um like they wouldn't just like grill up a steak, you know what I mean? <laughs> like have yeah. a, or have like a pig roast. Mm-hmm. It would probably just be like just a few things just to add probably like to a, dishes. Probably like a cold cut combo from Subway. Yeah. What they'd be eating. Honestly, cold cut combo goes hard. Yeah. I do like a good cold cut I love combo. a good go, good. I love good cold. I go a good cold cut combo. Subway, if you want to sponsor us. Yep. Yep. We'll get, <laughs> and we will, we will, um, we won't turn out like that one Subway guy. Remember what was his name? That became J- uh, Jared. Jared. From Subway. Jared from Subway. 
We promise we won't ever do what he does. We make a vow right now. Um, because we, we want unlimited cold cut combos and other sandwiches. Yeah, but yeah, so they uh, have the dinner there, and um, there Frodo sees the beautiful Arwen Evanstar, who is Elrond's Cute. daughter, and she's got a little thing for uh, Aragorn Strider. But who yeah. doesn't? I mean, yeah, who doesn't? Swing. Um, Frodo sits beside Glowin, um, one of the twelve dwarves who traveled with Bilbo years ago, or one of the dwarves, not the twelve, because it was, it wasn't twelve dwarves. Bilbo is not a dwarf. Yes. Um, uh, which is what The Hobbit is about. And Glowin tells Frodo about the history of the dwarves. Um, so Frodo and the reader learns about the history of the dwarves. And then after dinner, the party passes into the Great Hall of Fire for music and merrymaking. And Frodo, to his surprise, sees that old Bilbo himself is present. And um, the two hobbits talk for a long while. They're just having a good time, you know. And at one point, B- Bilbo asks to see the ring... Uh, but Frodo is reluctant, and then suddenly Bilbo appears to Frodo as a strange, grasping creature, kind of like Gollum. He goes, "Give me the ring, dude, right now." Holds him at he doesn't hold him at gunpoint. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, but Bilbo notices Frodo's hesitation and apologizes. Um, and then later, Frodo, enchanted by Elven song, uh, falls asleep into a deep sleep. Then he wakes up to the sound of Bilbo singing a song, and the two go to Bilbo's room to talk more. I wonder if. Because he fell asleep to the soft sounds of Elvin's song. If, uh, and then he woke up to Bilbo singing. If Bilbo singing was just so bad, it's just like woke him up. Oh my gosh. Dude. Who is singing right now? Yeah. Oh, it's my old man Bilbo. Uh, he just has to be nice to him because he was his heir and he got a lot of money from him. Yeah. So he's like, I got to be nice to this guy. Um, uh, so they go to the room to talk and then eventually at Sam's insistence, Frodo goes to bed in order to be well rested for the council next day. So Sam, it's like it's past your bedtime. So yeah, that's the end of uh, chapter thirteen. Um, I found a little bit. I think this is answer enough for me okay, um, on on whether the elves are vegetarians. <clears throat> so yeah, according to Peter Jackson, the elves, at least of Rivendell, are vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's this uh, blog, blag. blag. <laughs> there's this blog. Um, I've never been on it before, but it's Middle Earth I don't know. Um, But question, are the elves vegetarians? Answer, this question often arises, and since the release of The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey, many people have been asking if the elves are vegetarian or if elves eat meat. Um, When Thorin and company are fed by the elves of Rivendell, the dialogue implies that elves do not serve meat to the dwarves. However, at one point, Philly tosses a sausage to Bomber, who is seated on a table. The extra weight of the sausage is enough to cause the table to collapse. In J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth, most elves eat meat. The only elves specifically said to be vegetarians, <laughs> legendarians, uh, vegetarians were the green elves of Assyriand. In it Peter Jackson's sense. Middle Earth, it's hard to find an elf willing to eat meat. Still, you have to wonder where Philly's Rivendell sausage came from. Yeah, so, I was going to say maybe snuck it in. Yeah. Here, at my sausage. Ugh. And then it tips the table over. Yeah. Dang, that's the dream, That's man. a hefty sausage right Having there. Having your sausage tip a table over. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. sausage, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> moving on to chapter 14, the Council of Elrond. Elrond. So the chapter begins with Frodo and Sam taking a little stroll through the gardens and pavilions of Rivendell, and they run into Gandalf and Bilbo. Not literally. Oof. Just kind of a, oh, hey, how's mm-hmm. it going, guys? Uh, they talk for a bit, and Frodo uh, mentions wanting to go and explore the pines on the hillsides, but Gandalf says, no, not yet. No. That'll have to wait until after this council that we're about to have, which is about to start. Um, and the bell rings, like, right on time. Saved the by council. the bell, dude. Saved by the bell. Uh, I've saved a lot of awkward conversations, because <laughs> otherwise, what would they be talking about? Yeah. Um, and Frodo, Bilbo, and Gandalf all walk towards the council, and Sam follows behind, since he was with Frodo, and he's like, eh, I'm just going to see what Might happens. As well. He wasn't invited, though, so. Uh, the council takes place in a wide courtyard uh, slash pavilion thing, and other than who Frodo just walked with, there was Glowin' the Dwarf, Strider, Elrond, Glorfindel, a strange tall man, and many mm. other elf counselors. Then Gandalf begins the council by introducing several key members to Frodo, including many of who I just mentioned, as well as introducing Frodo to everybody. Um, mm. This chapter should have just been called Many Meetings. Yeah. Um, one big chapter, maybe. 
because yeah, uh, there's many meetings. Yeah, right. Uh, there is Gimli, son of Glowin, mm-hmm. Aristor, who is Elrond's chief counselor. Mm-hmm. There is Galdor, a messenger from Círdan the shipwright. Yeah, and there Círdan. is Legolas, son of King Thranduil of Mirkwood. And also Boromir, who is a tall stranger from the southern lands. Mm. The council starts off pretty chill. Um, mostly it's just kind of catching up. Just good vibes. Yeah, Glowin recounts kind of the happenings of dwarves, of Erebor, fortunes and misfortunes. Talked about Balin and Owen going to Moria to reclaim Khazad-dûm. Mm. Um, Glowin story. also talks about a messenger from Sauron that has been asking about hobbits and the Shire and promising a an, an important treasure to them if they give any info. And then he's also asking the men of Dale and the king um, the same questions. And now the northern lands of Rovanion lay under the threat of war if they do not comply with information. Dang. Yeah. A lot of stuff. So war in Gondor and war in the north. Um, Elrond now recounts the forging of the One Ring, a tale known only to a few at the council. In the Second Age, when the elves were still mighty and had great friendship with the dwarves of Khazad-dûm, Sauron appeared to them as Anatar, a fair emissary of the Valar. Not really, but, you know. Uh, He taught the elves of Eregion to make rings of power, and in secret he forged one in the heart of Orodruin to control and manipulate the wearers of the lesser rings of power. A war was waged when Sauron's plot was uncovered by Celebrimbor, but Eregion was laid waste. Uh... Elrond continues on about the fall of Numenor and the coming of Elendil and his sons to Middle-earth, establishing the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor. Sauron hated the Numenorians because of some past things that happened, you know. He was was made the prisoner of the Numenorians at one point. Um, And he assaulted their cities and kingdoms when they were established. The last alliance of elves and men was formed to defeat Sauron once and for all. Upon the plains of Dagorlad and at the Black Gate and at the foot of Barad-dûr, they waged war against Sauron for many years. They were victorious in the sense that they defeated the armies and cast Sauron down, but uh, Elendil and Gilgalad both died. It was Isildur, son of Elendil, who cut the One Ring from Sauron's hand, and so ended the Dark Lord's reign. Isildur returned north after a few years with the ring, eager to order his new kingdom with the power of the ring, but he was ambushed and killed on the banks of the Anduin at the Gladden Fields by some straggling orc troops from Moria, probably. Probably from Moria. Gotta be. Um, Boromir was surprised to hear that Isildur had taken the ring, saying that those in Gondor believed that it was destroyed when Sauron fell. That would have been convenient. Yeah, would have yeah, been, yeah. Would have been able to uh, avoid all of this. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a boring book. Though. It would have been a boring book, yeah. <laughs> or maybe the book would have been about the Last Alliance. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Elrond goes on. Uh, throughout the Third Age, the elves and men grew apart, and the lines of the kings eventually faded and kingdoms crumbled, even in Gondor. However, Boromir interjects again and claims that the strength of Gondor has not yet fully gone, and still they hold out against Sauron. He explains that he is here in Rivendell on the counsel of his father, the steward Denethor, after he and his brother had the same dream with a voice telling them, Seek for the sword that was broken. In Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for a Sildor's bane shall waken and the halfling forth shall stand. Nice. Good little poetry. Mm Mm-hmm. Strider, yet in this moment the lordly Aragorn, tall and filled with light. Swing! Yeah, yeah, sexy probably. Yeah! Uncovers mm. the sword that was broken, Narsil of Elendil. Boromir is skeptical of the claim and of Aragorn's legitimacy, but eventually he gives in. Now Bilbo begins telling his side of the story about Gollum. But the question still remains, if Isildur fell with the ring, how did Gollum find it so many centuries later? This is where Gandalf picks up his story, telling all about his and Aragorn's travels to hunt for Gollum. When Gandalf interrogated the little fiend, he learned much to be able to piece together history, rumors, and his gut feelings to understand that Bilbo's ring was indeed the One Ring. Gollum was brought to Mirkwood, which was nearby, to be held in the dungeons of the elves, but he was able to orchestrate an escape when he was allowed outside for fresh air. Because the elves aren't bad people. They're not cruel, so they're like, yeah, you can have some fresh air. Mm -hmm. But he was able to escape because of this. This is what Legolas interrupts Gandalf's story for, saying that orcs came upon the elves at unawares and Gollum had disappeared afterwards. 
Uh, Gandalf continues and explains his absence as he was away in Gondor studying scrolls of lore and that he had also been captured by Saruman. Saruman is revealed to be a traitor, but not wholly on the side of Sauron. Rather, he wishes to rule the world by himself and is also seeking for the One Ring. Gandalf escapes via Eagle and rides north, finally coming to Rivendell. Now the council must decide what to do with the ring. Some suggest giving it to Bombadil, but he would be too haphazard with it and forget it after a while. It's a goofy guy. A little goofy guy. Uh, haphazard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, others suggest throwing it into the sea and make the rumors true that it had finally you know, flowed down the Anduin and into the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, Boromir... Oh, wait, hold on. Elrond and Gandalf, though, they said that it would eventually find its way back if it wasn't wholly destroyed, as it does have a will of its own. It's Mm -hmm. kind of malice-filled. Boromir, though, asks why it should be hidden or destroyed at all and not used as a weapon against Sauron. And Elrond has to explain to Boromir, silly Boromir. Come on, uh, man. That would be foolish, given the example of Sauron that whosoever uses the ring or merely obsesses over it, though good at first, will turn to evil. Dang. Yeah. Um, and sit down, Boromir. Uh, it is then decided. <laughs> it is Be humble. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a good song. Yeah. It is then decided, with Frodo bravely putting himself forth, that they must march straight to Mount Doom and destroy it in the very fires from which it was forged. Therein mm-hmm. lies their only hope of victory. What about the eagles? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just we're not no, getting into that. We're and, not getting into it. And hey, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. So yeah. That's it. That's it. That's, that's it. That's man. on that chapter. Okay. Yeah. Everyone say thank you to Grant. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't mean you. But. Oh. Okay. Thanks for saying thank you to Grant. So, um, yeah. So that was the two thank chapters. Now we're gonna. Oh, yeah. Say you're welcome, everybody. Thank you. Okay. So now we're gonna get into the deep dives. Um, first, I'm gonna give you a quick history of Irvindel. Um, it's gonna be quick because there's a lot that goes on in the history, and we've already done a whole episode on Rivendell. So if you listen to, f- or go back to episode 47, uh, Rivendell, the last homie house. Um, <laughs> that was a grant came up with that title. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh, if you listen to that, you can get like a full deep dive on, uh, Rivendell and everything about it. So I'm going to give a brief overview of it. Um, up until, uh, the events of this chapter is when I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go past it. But so just the general things you need to know about Rivendell, um, Rivendell, also known as Imladris. Or Schmivendell. Yeah. Yeah. Tolkien didn't write that one, but he no. probably thought it. Yeah, no, it's known in Sindarin as Imladris. Imladris. Um, it was an elven town and house in the house of Elrond located in Middle Earth. Yes. Um, and it was described as the last homely house east of the sea in reference to Valinor, uh, which was the great sea in Amman. Um, and it was the last homely house um, heading east, um, but it was the first homely house coming west. So, you know, that's how it is. Yeah. Depends on which way yeah. you're coming. Yeah. Um, it was established in the Second Age, 1697, as a refuge from Sauron after the fall of Region, which I'll get into. Um, but so where is it located? It's located at the edge of a narrow gorge in the River Bruinen, which is the river that the uh, um, ring race couldn't cross. And it was well hidden in the moorlands and the foothills of the Misty Mountains. Um, and one of the main approaches to Rivendell passed uh, through the nearby ford of Bruin. And so the history of it. Um, so during the War of the Elves and Sauron, Elrond led an army from Linden to help the elves in Eregion who had been attacked by Sauron. Um, and so they were coming from the, they were attacking Sauron from the northwest. So they were coming down southeast. Is that right? Yeah, they'd come. Yeah. They'd come down southeast, Sauron's northwest. Um, so then Elrond meets Celebrimbor and they head towards Region, but they're stopped uh, by Sauron's forces. Um, and then, so they're fighting. While this is happening, the elves of Khazad-dûm come and attack Sauron's forces from the east, which splits Sauron's attention, and the elves are able to flee because they're not going to win. Um, and so then the the elves flee north along the Bruinen, and then this is where Elrond sets up a stronghold at its headwaters. Um, and it essentially became a refuge for those seeking shelter from Sauron's onslaught in Eridor. Um, and then Sauron heads northwest, um, but some of his 
forces follow Elrond because now Elrond is the northeast of them. Um, and the elves lay siege to Rivendell. Um, they follow Elrond and the elves and lay siege to Rivendell. Yes. Some of his forces. Elves are already there. Um, but they're staved off and um, they flee with Sauron back to Mordor. Um, and um, uh, and then uh, so then a council is held at the time in um, uh, Rivendell um, and then this is Elrond is made Gilgalad's vice regent in Eriador um, and then uh, Rivendell is like his home base now so it's all set up um, and this is where he's going to be um, and it's then that's his, his crib yeah He's got to deck it out now. Mm-hmm. And he uses the power of the elven ring he got earlier. Um, to deck it out. Yeah, to deck Pretty it much. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, got to invite MTV over after mm-hmm. that, too. Yeah. So uh, he he makes it really, really nice. And then Imladris remained uh, an elvish stronghold in Eridor to the second, uh, from the end of the second age into the third age. Um, and uh, so then... Um, Oh, wait, where's the third age I thought I had? Where did I put that? So, moving on to the third age. Um, um, so, yeah, so Elrond was just hanging out there. Um, and uh, it just was just like a refuge or a sanctuary. Many elves gathered there. Um, and... Elrond started, Elrond just, uh, some people lived there. It went back and forth. We don't need to go into that, but, yeah. um, the, it would be a refuge for some princes and, um, Elrond had a kid, um, his daughter. Nice. Um, so then danger came to Eridor in the third age, 1300, when Angmar was established in the northeast beyond the Antmores. Um, and it was late in the reign of Arvagalev the first that Rivendell was besieged by Angmar, um, after an incursion by Angmar in, into Eriador in Third Age 1409, the elves of Rivendell joined those um, joined those of Linden in the Galadrim, Galadrim yeah. uh, whom Elrond brought over the mountains in subduing the power of the Witch King for many years. Um, so then after the end of the North Kingdom, um, the first chieftains of the Dúnedain and his son fostered in Rivendell and were subsequent as were all subsequent sons of the chiefs. And so like I said, uh, they would, uh, they would host people there to live there. Um, and, um, the chieftains of the Dúnedain uh, was just one of many. Um, and then they also, it was like a, uh, museum kind of too, because they had a lot of heirlooms and treasure at the house of Isildur yeah. or from the house of Isildur yeah. there. The shards of Narsil, like Grant said, um, the scepter of Anuminas yeah. and, um, uh, and then also here were or stored here were a few remaining documents containing the history of Numenor. So it's just a place. It's like a refuge place, and it's also an important place for news and history. Yeah. Um, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the Hobbit, um, Bilbo stops off at Rivendell with the dwarves. Um, like Grant said, when through the sausage, it tipped over the table. Um, and then Bilbo went there for his after his 111th birthday, and then that's where we are now. So yeah, so that was just like a quick history. If you wanted a full history, you listen to episode 47. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Rivendell is just a very very important place. Very important place, yes. And Elrond, the people there are very very important people. The last homely house. Yeah, and it is led by the last, pretty much half elf. The last homie. The last homie. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think is a pretty good stopping point for mm-hmm. a little amber. Yeah, let's take a little amber. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to it. Just. Hey everyone, have you been wondering where you can see the behind the scenes of this podcast, or correct us when we inevitably get something wrong on the podcast? Well, I'm here to let you know. You can find us on Instagram at exploringmiddle__earth or on Twitter at expmiddleearth. If you don't want to look those up, links to both of those will be in the show notes.
All right, guys, welcome back uh, after that little ad break. After you know, after a little ad read, yes. you know we gotta hit you with it. Yeah, boom! It makes us the big bucks. Wow, dude. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm gonna talk about um, this last half, Elf Elrond, um, and why he's such an important character. Not just because he's a half elf and he's so wise and all that sort of stuff. And all the stuff Jay mentioned about the Second mm-hmm. Age. He was, you know, the vice regent of Gilgalad, and he was a famous captain and the second age. He's a, he's a big guy. Big guy. But his family also, like his family tree, very important. There's some mm-hmm. pretty big characters in there, and you'll see why Elrond is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, hooray for family trees and genealogy. I'm sure this is hooray. everybody's favorite topic. Mm-hmm. This is definitely mine. Yeah. Um, Elrond is the Lord of Rivendell and very wise, and mm-hmm. was also considered one of the best warriors of the later elves. He is also called Elrond Half Elven. Why? Why? Oh, Whoa. I literally had that written <laughs> oh, down I too. Didn't. Let's dive in. Yeah. Um. Oh, sorry. I hit the what button. noise was that? I, I tried to do the soundboard, but it wasn't, so it just was saying you're hitting oh. a button. Nothing's happening. Um, Elrond, along with his twin brother Elros. Uh, was the son of Elwing and Eärendil. Mm. Elwing was fully elf, sort of. All of her ancestors on her mother Nimloth's side were uh, Sindarin elves, namely her uncle was Celeborn, the husband of Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Um, her father was Dior Elokil, the heir to King Thingol of Doriath, and the son of Baron and Luthien. Oh, yeah. Dior was considered fo- fully elf, as he was not given a choice between the gift of the Eldar or the gift of men, which is immortality or mortality. Mm-hmm. Erendil, Elrond's father, was a renowned mariner. He was the son of Tuor and Idril Celebrindel. Tuor was a man of Hithlum and, cl- and cousin to Turin Turambar. We've talked about him quite a bit. Uh, Idril was the daughter of King Turgon of Gondolin and was among the Noldor. So Eärendil was also half-elf, though still not fully considered so. Um, just to recap, Elwing is five-eighths Sindar. I did all this fractional oh, nice. math. One-eighths Maiar because of Melion and one quarter mannish. Hmm, uh, I guess that's how you would human. There yeah. you go. Eärendil, his father, is half Noldor and half human. This makes Elrond, if my fractional meth is meth <laughs> is correct, <laughs> and also not exactly if sure if this works the same with like genes and like family trees. Mm-hmm. That would make Elrond one sixteenth Maiar, one quarter Noldor, five sixteenth Sindar and three-quarter human, or mm. three-eighth human. Mm. Elrond ends up marrying Celebrion, daughter of Celeborn and Galadriel. She is half Noldor and half Sindar. Celebrion is technically Elrond's first cousin, twice removed, Ooh. because of the relation to Celeborn. Mm-hmm. Their children are the twins Eladon and Elrohir, and their daughter is Arwen. Mm-hmm. All three of their children retained the right and the choice between mortal fate and to live in as long as Arda lasted. And as we know, Arwen famously chose to be mortal after being betrothed to Aragorn. <gasps> Though being an elf, she did live much longer than most people, even the Dunedain would have. Mm-hmm. So um, the children of the half elf, Elrond, the half elf, also had the choice between a human mortal life or an immortal elven life to live as long as the world of Arda lasted. Yeah. Um, Elrond's family is riddled with ancient heroes and warriors and kings. King Thingol, as we know, was the only Sindar to have seen the lights of the two trees, and his wife was a Maiar queen, wow. um, which is basically divinity. Their daughter Luthien was perhaps the most beautiful elf maiden yeah. of all time. <laughs> um, and she married Baron the Man and assisted in, <laughs> and assisted in stealing a Silmaril. From the Dark Lord Morgoth in his very dungeon. Crazy. Yeah, well. Dior. Um, you're Christian Dior, Dior. Um, yeah, we, also, we have a whole episode. Shout on out Pop Smoke, man. Rest <laughs> in peace, legend. Uh, what's up? We have a whole episode on Baron and Luthien, episode seven, so check that one out. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Dior was king of Doriath for a short time, and he even held the Silmaril as a family keepsake. Tuor was the messenger of Olmo, and from him and Idril was born the hope of elves and men, Eärendil. Yeah, so that is the family tree of um, Elrond. There are two unions 
of elves and men. You know, you got Baron and Luthien, Tuor and Idril, and then you've got so many warriors and kings and famous characters from the first age and from mm-hmm. before. And then it all comes into Elrond and Elros. Mm-hmm. And Elros, as we know, uh, started the line of the Numenorean kings. And from that line came Elendil and Isildur. And from Isildur, we get Aragorn. Yeah. So also, Aragorn and Arwen are related. But you know what but you it's can like, do? It's like, it's like second cousin 58 times removed or something Yeah, like what are you going to do? Yeah. But so. yeah, their kids are have a lot of family history, dude. Yeah. Because they... A shared well, family history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> um, yeah, so now I'm going to talk a little bit more. That was just a little brief segment I want to mm-hmm. talk about, you know. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about what is happening in Wilderland or Rovanion after The Hobbit. Um, we know in the chapter, uh, many meetings, and in the Council of Elrond, Glowen was talking a lot about all that was happening in Erebor and uh, the Kingdom of Dale, and all that sort of stuff. And even Legolas talks about Mirkwood. Um, so yeah, from Glowen, father of Gimli and companion of Bilbo, this is what he talks about. The dwarves of Erebor are troubled and years of peace and prosperity with their knaves, knaves, <laughs> their neighbors, Dale, <laughs> bring some dwarves to thinking they can reconquer Moria again um, and make a great kingdom once more. Following the death of Smaug and the coronation of Dane Ironfoot, who is the cousin of Thor and Oakenshield, the dwarves of Erebor thrive and begin to reach their former glory. Nearby Dale is enriched with trade, and Esgaroth, which was Lake Town, um, is rebuilt further north along the Long Lake. That was a lot of longs. Along Along the the Long Long Lake. Lake. But on the shore. Many of the dwarves of the Iron Hills follow their leader Dane to Erebor when he becomes king, and many of the dwarves of the Blue Mountains return to Erebor. Uh, Balin and Owen fall into disquiet as well, hearing the rumors that the dwarves now had enough power to take on the darkness of Moria and win. Balin enters Moria and sends messages to Erebor, telling Dane of their conquest and their success. These messages continue for a few years, but cease altogether. At last, some time before Glowen and Gimli set out to Rivendell for counsel and advice, a messenger of Mordor attempts to lure Dain into swearing fealty to Sauron in exchange for information on a hobbit and a ring, and threatens war if they do not comply. In Dale, in what is considered the Kingdom of Rovanion, Bard the Bowman, the Slayer of Smaug, becomes king of the newly built Dale though I'm sure he probably lived in the new lake town for a few years before it was fully built. Yeah. Uh, trade between Dale and Erebor returned like the days of old, and he was given his share in the treasure of Erebor for his part in the death of Smaug and during the Battle of the Five Armies. After King Bard died of old age, his son Bane became the next king. Uh, the kingdom of Dale, or Ravanion, grew steadily and was said to have extended far south and east of the Long Lake possibly to the river running and the eaves of Mirkwood. Dale became the capital from where the descendants of Bard ruled, and all the people after that became known as Bardings. And Esgaroth grew in size as well. There are probably many other settlements in that kingdom um, besides Dale and Esgaroth, as it was became a pretty populous kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, king Bane died from old age as well, and Bard's grandson Brand became the next king. It was during King Bran's reign when messengers of Mordor came to Dale and proposed a deal with the king, much like they did with Dane. Though the dwarves feared King Bran would give in, not having the strength like his forefathers to withstand the will of evil. Um, in 2951, ten years after the necromancer was removed from Dol Guldur, three Nazgul, led by Kamul the Easterling, reoccupied the fortress in southern Mirkwood and made the forest evil and dark again. Gollum also leaves his caves and searches for Bilbo throughout Rovanion before heading south towards Mordor. Aragorn is able to track Gollum and takes him on a grueling march north towards the elves of Mirkwood. Upon being delivered to the elves of Mirkwood, Gollum is held in captivity, though not cruelly, before being rescued by an orc raiding party. It was unknown how Gollum communicated with them so that he could escape. And also... Um, if you remember Bjorn in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, the bear guy. Bear guy. Big bear guy. Uh, he ends up becoming a famous chieftain after The Hobbit, and a lot of other people that are like him start 
um, coming to him and they, they form like a village and form like a little nation, not really kingdom or anything, but he, he becomes their chief and they become known as the Bjornings. And some of them could also shapeshift like Bjorn into a, or skin change technically shapeshifting is a little different Mm -hmm. into a bear. Um, and they kept those, they kept those lands safe. The passages between the Misty Mountains and Mirkwood so that Mm -hmm. the dwarves could travel through. Uh, yeah, so that is all that has happened between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, where we go just to kind of catch you guys up on what was going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm going to finish off this deep dive with just a quick section on um, why does nobody really know about The Hobbits? Because um, we we know that um, the elves in Rivendell know about The Hobbits, um, or most of them, and uh so far the only other people they've met are the people from Bree which um are which know about the hobbits cuz Bree's Bree folk um or people who live in Bree are part hobbit why did i say it like that hobbits live in Bree so part of the people who live in Bree are hobbits and um but the um Nazgul didn't know to go after the hobbits until they got from um Gollum like Grant said when they captured Gollum um and they tor- they tortured him and uh got him to say Shire Baggins um but why are the hobbits such like an unknown folk uh if they play such an important part in the story um and that's mainly because originally they were nomadic people and they would travel around and with being nomadic you don't uh, they don't really keep records of things because they didn't have like a place to store records or um then with that they didn't really have like a king and they didn't have like a whole structure or anything they just roamed around so you um based off of like actual human history nomadic people didn't really keep records and we don't have good records of or we don't really have great records of things like that because there was not an emphasis on keeping records but then they settled down in the shire or what became the shire and around eriador um and um, they just really, they kept to themselves and really didn't, um, uh, worry about what was going on outside and around the Shire. Um, and, uh, you can see this a lot in the first two chapters when, uh, there's a lot of gossip going on in the, uh, the bars. Yeah. It sounds just like that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of gossip going on and it's a lot of, um, tales that have been told before and a lot of, um, uh, they they talk a lot about thi- like oh there's these trees that are um trees that talk and move and then there's they talk about like elves and um uh elves and ents and stuff and just stuff that around there as as if they're like myths and um it's less of like a oh we know these people are there and more of like uh we've heard tales of these people but they do they do get information from Gandalf because um Gandalf visits him a lot but one thing about Gandalf is he uh um he's the only hobbit scholar um because since the hobbits kept themselves and didn't really get involved in a lot of stuff like they didn't get involved in a lot of political stuff yeah um nobody really knew about him so a lot of people found their history kind of worthless yeah so that's why there wasn't any hobbit scholars um uh scott people studying the hobbits not hobbits who there's probably some smart hobbits. But yeah, so then... And they just kept themselves and never really went on big adventures. So that's why it's such a big deal that first Bilbo went on an adventure. Bilbo. Bilbo <laughs> went on an adventure, yeah. And then um, it's a big deal, or this is a big deal, why uh, the uh, hobbits are chosen to take the ring. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's to their advantage that nobody knows them. Yeah, most um, most people probably... probably <laughs> Probably, mm-hmm. probably would have expected like some great hero like Glorfindel or mm-hmm. um, like a yeah like uh, Aragorn. Aragorn, or, sorry, I'm say, so sorry, dude. Or, or like Boromir wow, to like take dude. the ring, you know. But we don't want Boromir too. No, that'd be bad. I would rather have Faramir. Yeah, Faramir's a good guy. You're gonna meet him good later. Guy. Not you. The readers will meet him later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's all I got on that. Yeah. Do you want to go to trivia? Yeah, I would love to, Jay. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Or you want to go? Yeah, first? go ahead. Okay, um, so during the War of the Elves, 
in Sauron. Elrond leads an army, but who does he meet up with before he heads down and attacks Sauron? Well, I repeat the question. Um, who does Elrond and his army meet up with before they head towards Aragion to at- attack Sauron? Like what leader? Elvish leader. Shoot. Um. Well, because Elrond is part of Gilgalad's army already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it's not Gilgalad. So um, he meets up with somebody in their forces. Oh, does he? He he meets up with um Celeborn. Yes, Celeborn. Because yeah, c- I I was remembering um, Celeborn ends yes. up in yeah. Rivendell with him after mm-hmm. they retreat. So yeah, mm-hmm. okay, sweet. Okay, nice. al- that almost stumped me. Yeah. I'm not gonna. How do you grant? Thank you. Uh, this is a multiple choice question. Oh, and there are two answers. I will give you that. Okay. What regions slash people were not represented at the Council of Elrond? Mm-hmm. Is it A, the Elves of Linden? Is it B, the Elves of Lorien? Is it C, the Hobbits of the Shire? Is it D, the Dwarves of the Iron Hills? Or is it E, the Men of Gondor? And I will repeat as many times as you like. So there's two that are not represented. Two that are not there. Yeah. Um, the other three are also What were the there. first two? The first two were the elves of Linden and the elves of Lorien. Um, I think one is the elves of Linden, and then what were the last three? The last three were the hobbits of the Shire, the dwarves of the Iron Hills, and the men of Gondor. Um, I'm thinking the dwarves of the Iron Hills, but I don't know if that's related to the dwarves of Khazad Dûm. I'm gonna say the elves of Linden and the dwarves of the Iron Hills. You got. One of those correct. Don't tell me which one. I'll try to. I know. Guess. I was gonna have you guess one more time. Okay. What was the second elf one? The elves of the Lorien? elves of Linden. Linden. The and Grey Havens. Oh, it'd be no. Uh, yeah. No. Um. What was the very? Oh, the men of Gondor. Men of Gondor. Uh, it's got to be the elves of Linden. Or is it both? Is it the first two, the elves? You already guessed the elves of Linden. Oh, the elves of Lorien? Yeah. I'm going to say the elves of Lorien and the uh, dwarves of the Iron Mountains. You got it correct. Nice, dude. Yeah. The elves of Lorien, there weren't any elves from Lorien there. There mm-hmm. were elves of Linden. There was uh, Galdor. Oh, okay. Um, who was a messenger from Círdan. And then the dwarves of the Iron Hills are not the same as the dwarves from Erebor okay, or Moria. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And then the hobbits were there, of course. I almost picked Frodo. the hobbits. <laughs> you had Frodo and Bilbo. <laughs> Men of Gondor was there. You had Boromir. Yeah. Um, so I tried to make it tricky because mm-hmm. I chose Linden, the name Linden, instead of Grey Havens because mm-hmm. it sounded like Lorien. And yeah. then you might have been thinking Legolas for Lorien, but it's not Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. So I tried to make it like tricky. I don't know. I think it worked, though. Yeah. Okay, so my second one, um, what... Um, happened that allowed um, Celeborn and Elrond to flee north uh, oh, with Sar- I know this, fighting I, Sauron. I know this one. The uh, dwarves of Khazad-dûm yes. came from their little halls. Yes, they did. Tacked from the rear. Congratulations. My trivia question for you. Okay. Elrond is not multiple choice anymore. Okay. Elrond is a descendant of two famous elf and man marriages. What are they? Uh... Well, it would be uh, Baron and Luthien. Yes. Um, the other oh, one's a l- the other one flies under the radar a little bit, oh, but shoot. it produced perhaps one of the most famous characters of the first stage of all time, Arendil. Oh, so I'm are, not gonna get the names. Who are? Uh, can you at least explain who they are, though? Just kind of in general terms, man and elf. <laughs> man and elf. Um, That's who they are. They're Arendil's parents. I can tell you yep. that. Yep. Um, they are from Gondolin. Yes. Is it the dad, the elf, and the mom, the uh? Nope. Or it's the other Reverse. way around. Yep. It's always that way. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Baron and Luthien. Yeah. Um, I wonder why it's always that way. Just like Luthien was the daughter of the Elven king Thingol. Um, that I almost said her name. <laughs> this Elven maiden was the daughter of King Turgon. Oh, I, I'm not going to get it. I'm so bad name. with names. Okay, 
I will give you the name of the lady. Okay. But I'm going to have you try and guess the name of the okay. guy because I feel like you'd be able to get that one mm-hmm. easier. The name of the lady is Idril. Oh, so it's, it's blank and Idril. What's the first letter? T. Turon, Turgon. Cousin. It's uh, sort of similar to Turgon. Cousin to Turin. Hurin. I don't no, know. No, that was Turin's oh, that's dad. that's oh, yeah. that's not even T either. But it was like uh, it was like there, it was Hurin and his brother. They had like the H names, and then their kids were T names. So Hurin's kid was Turin. The H guy, his kids started with a T, and it was like the same thing. What was the first? What was it? Hurin and Hurin and Turin, and then Hurin's brother Blank had an H name, and then his son also had a T name that like matched, kind of like Hurin and Turin. Tur Turin, Turin Trambar, Turgon. No, that isn't. It's similar to Turgon. Shoot, I can't. Tyrion. No, I don't know. He he was the one who was chosen by Olmo. Um, and he followed the swans. I can't think of the oh, name. Oh man, come I can't on. think of it. I feel like you know it too. I shoot, I can't. Tuor. Tuor. Okay, yeah. yeah. Sorry, dude. I can never get names. Uh, it was Hurin and Huor and mm-hmm. Turin and Tuor. Oh yeah, yeah. Little little mix and match there. Dang, sorry, I was just being dumb. Hey, dude. Hey. Wow, okay. dude. Okay, I got. I kind of got a fun one oh, for this last okay. one. Okay, oh, a fun one. You know, I didn't talk about it, but oh. I assume <laughs> that's can, that's what my last one is too. I think you can get so. it. Okay. Um not in chapter in chapter fourteen of the book. Um it's not in the book, but in the movies where oh. chapter fourteen yeah. like that, that council area. takes place. Yeah. What um famous meme came out of chapter fourteen <laughs> technically? Oh, oh okay. And Boromir is saying one does not simply yes. walk into Mordor. Yeah. Yes. There we go. One does not simply Walk into Mordor. There we go. That's what they did, though. Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was going to preface this trivia question with, I didn't mention this in the deep dive. Oh, no. I, I mentioned the part of it, so it should be kind of an easy clue. It's never easy context. with me, dude. What treasure did the messenger of Sauron promise to King Dane Ironfoot if the dwarves gave up information on the Shire, on the Shire, on the Shire and Hobbits? What treasure did he promise? Um, to the dwarves. To the dwarves. Uh, wasn't it? Um, it was. Was it a piece of armor, or no? No, a smaller. Was it a Silmaril? No. Oh, okay. That's, that um, would that would have been crazy. Yeah, that would have been crazy, dude. Um, it's a jewel, isn't it, of some type, or like a. Something like that, yeah. Is it in some type of necklace or something? Close. I feel like it's um, it's something. You're getting you, there. You're getting there. Uh, is a crown of some sort? No, that's pretty close too, though. Um, you're bracelet? Kinda, you're kinda, <laughs> I don't know. You're close. You're circling around it, man. Shoot, I feel like I'm always circling, dude. Um, I can't tell you the name of it, but it, circle. You're circling a ring. Yep. <laughs> Is it the is it the ring of power? One of the rings of it's power. It's one of the dwarven rings of power. Oh, yeah. Dwarven rings of power. Yeah. Does it, does it have a name? I don't know the names. No, they don't have names. Okay, I was gonna say yeah. I, I can't think of the names. I was trying to hint at it by saying you were circling around. Yeah. <laughs> and you I were actually got it. Dude. You were close with bracelet and crown. I mean, it's like a piece of like a mini bracelet. Jewel, yeah, jewelry <laughs> that you wear, or whatever, like necklace too. It's a finger crown. And it was circular. Yeah. So yeah, you're getting bracelet. there. You're getting there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure, you're done. Yeah. Well, uh, you guys know what time it is. It That's is right. uh, Middle Earth Current Events. Hit it. Dun, dun, dun. Hey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Middle Earth Current Events. This is Current Events on this Earth. Uh, pertaining to Middle Earth. Yes. Let's go. Uh, we got a uh, current event sandwich for you, yes. which means one of us has two and one of us has one. So and this you will have to guess who it is. Yeah. So I'm gonna start with the top bun. I wonder if you can guess who it is. Who has the who has two? Who of has them. the bottom bun? Yeah. Who has the bottom bun? But so um, my first the top bun today is um Tolkien's pub or the Tolkien pub, not Tolkien's pub. Eagle and Child, um, will be resurrected by Oracle Tech, Titan, 
um, Larry Ellison. So um, the Eagle and Child is a pub that was frequent frequented frequented yes. frequented by Tolkien and C.S. Lewis um, and the Inklings and the right? Inklings yeah. yeah. Um, but it closed three years ago due to the pandemic. Uh-huh. Um, but it got bought by a new investment group and then they plan to bring it back, which is good. That's good because that means we can go to it then. Yes. Um, I'd lo- is it in Oxford? Yeah, it's been. I would imagine so if it's where they were. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So um, you keep talking. I'm going to look up where it is. It's it, it's um, so this is an article from the one ring serving Oxford since the 17th century. The plan is to modernize the entire area while still keeping the eagle and child and most importantly, the inklings corner intact. Um, there's no date um, set for when it will be officially opened again. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. The, the all we know so far is they got bought out by an investment group, and their plan is to uh, kind of redo it to make it a little more modern, but keep the same feel. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, so I, I mean, maybe I think. Uh, making it more modern is more of like I don't know, probably just having to do with like heat and plumbing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, probably. I don't think they're gonna do any big aesthetic changes. Except, Wi-Fi. Yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. I don't think. Th- I think. I mean, they'll probably fix it up, but I think they're gonna, or I hope they try to keep the same uh, style and vibe. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what I got. That's the top bun. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I just looked at a street view of it. It's mm-hmm. nice. Um. <clears throat> So my bun, or no, I don't have a bun. You you got the meat. <laughs> I got the meat. I got mm-hmm. the meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. I got the meat and cheese and lettuce mm-hmm. and tomato yeah. and onion and mustard and ketchup. Wait wait wait! This could be our cold cut combo. Oh, so, so I, I the, got you got the top the top sub yeah. bun. You have the you got I've you got, got the meat and the che- the ham and the cheese. I got the yeah. I got the ham and the cheese and the, do you like turkey on your cold mm-hmm. cut combo? Yeah. Yes. So ham, turkey. I got provolone. Uh, yes. Or what do you, yeah, provolone? I do provolone and yeah. some lettuce. Provolone, some lettuce. You like mayo? No, I'm not a mayo guy. Mayo? I'm a mayo guy, though. But well, you can know, we this do light mayo? Well, no, this is, I'm just a bun, so you can do whatever. Oh, okay. I, I like I like putting jalapenos on it sometime. I don't know if you're a jalapeno guy. Not really, but that does okay. sound good. Try well, it I, nor- I normally don't. I do like jalapenos, though. Oh, so. try it next time. Um, okay, so we'll do jalapenos. We'll do some mayo. We'll do mm-hmm. some mustard. We'll do some oil and vinegar and basil. I don't. Mm. That's a good combo to put. Yeah. Ask for that next time. Okay. Um, that just adds a little extra. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll go tomato, mm-hmm. but it also depends on how Subway's tomatoes are looking that day. Yeah. Sometimes they look a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's just say they look good. They look good, mm-hmm. and I'll throw on some banana peppers too. Nice, dude. Which, if I have banana peppers, that's not too far from jalapeno, so that mm-hmm. should be good. But that's what I'm doing. Um, if I, I can't really think of anything else. Oh, and just so you guys know... Um, the top bun and this bottom one will be toasted. Toasted, you nice. Have to have it toasted. There we go. Um, okay, so this uh, meat <laughs> is um the Lord of the Rings Return to Moria video game. <laughs> video game. Um, yeah. So it's been released. Oh, wow. wait, really? Yeah, it came out October twenty fourth for Windows. Um, you have to buy it on Epic, the Epic's game, <laughs> Epic Game Epics. Store. Um, yeah, so it's only for Windows right now, but the PlayStation 5 version comes out in December, so that would be a great Christmas gift. And mm. the Xbox version comes out in either the early, like January, February 2024, or early spring 2024. I don't know why it's coming out so much later, but it is. They have they have console exclusives and stuff. You know, it's all contracts and <laughs> yeah, stuff. You know, it's yeah. all about the money, man. But you yeah, know. so far from what I've seen, um, Nerd of the Rings has played it and reviewed it, and good um, guy. Yeah, the gameplay seems promising and a lot better than the Gollum game, which was a huge disappointment. Mm-hmm. And it's got lots of customization for characters, and it's also got procedurally generated minds. So every game is somewhat different. It, what, what is it like a first person thing, or is it like uh, an open world thing, or is it yeah, like a- it's kind of open world? Um, it's like a survival crafting game, sort of. Um, I'm gonna read this review from uh, Microsoft MSN, mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft News, or whatever that stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, the title, uh, the story or blog or whatever is by Jasmine Gold Wilson and the title is Playing Lord of the Rings Return to Moria feels like Middle Earth Minecraft. I love Minecraft so. And this, you love Middle Earth. And this piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Watch out. Swing. The, 
Watch out, them <laughs> dwarves are about. And Orc sneers. Oh, I keep hovering over these stock like icons, and I, I keep getting a huge page of mm. the stock market. I hate <laughs> it. Um, I immediately extinguish my torch and hit X to stop my tuneful singing, something my merry little dwarf is prone to breaking into while happy in his work in the Lord of the Rings Return to Moria. Mm. As much as I enjoy his ditties, sound and light are two things you must moderate while carving a path through these war-torn minds, lest you end up back on the menu. A survival crafting game set against the rich backdrop of J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle-Earth, Return to Moria will feel familiar to fans of the films, books, and anyone that enjoys playing Minecraft. Separating the iconic locales as seen in Tolkien's universe are myriad procedurally generated chambers, each with unique spots to mine, craft, and set up camp. Picking my way through them, literally, was no mean feat as a lone adventurer in a game built for the multiplayer experience, but it was no less a magical one. My first hint that Return to Moria will truly shine in its online multiplayer mode comes before I even load in. While creating my character, a worried yet dapper red-headed iron dwarf named Moira, <laughs> so named in honor of my frequent typo when writing out the <laughs> game's name, I'm struck by how many customization options there are. From cosmetic changes to attitude to origin and body types, it's possible for groups of players to create a unique crew of pickaxe-wielding dwarf warriors from various backgrounds. Um, I'm not going to read all of this article. I'm just reading the big parts that I read. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just one way that Return to Moria seeks to tap the Tolkien vein in earnest. It's good to see these choices impact the way I play the game, too, with each of my emotes seeming to reflect Moira's grim disposition as he sullenly scoffs at nothing in particular. His pessimistic outlook, thankfully, doesn't seem to reflect in his ability to chip away happily at the towering, crumbling walls of Mor Moria's procedurally generated minds. Uh, much like in Minecraft, an on-screen toolbar helps you equip certain items and pieces of gear to help you on your quest to reunite with the rest of your dwarven companions. With pickaxes for mining, axes for fighting off goblins and orcs, and various crafting ingredients, the most important tool in your arsenal is actually your makeshift torch. As director Jean-Paul Dumont told us in the Lord of the Rings Return to Moria preview, you need to manage your noise and light in order to avoid the attention of enemies. So, it's just like... It's like a cool survival crafting game. You can like really customize your dwarf to make it different um, origins, different backgrounds, like different kinds of dwarfs. Like we know, we've talked about the seven dwarf clans. Mm -hmm. um, you can make it one of those dwarf clans. You can have different dispositions and attitudes, and you know, obviously, you can do um, like a like hair color and cosmetic changes and stuff like that. Um, so you can really make the dwarf unique to what you like. And you can go about single player, um, kind of exploring the ruins of Moria and, and discovering more about it. Um, or you can do multiplayer, which is apparently what this is mainly built for. So you can team up with other players as different dwarves to try and get as far as you can to reestablish Moria. Mm -hmm. um, also, I had a burp. Um, also, Gimli makes an appearance oh, because nice. this takes place in the fourth age following the end of the war of the ring and Gimli is now like one of these like big characters like larger than life characters everybody knows Gimli he was one of the fellowship of the ring you know helped mm -hmm. Frodo uh, get to Moria or get to uh, Mordor yeah <laughs> that's what it is um, they do go through Moria though that's true yeah um, and so he's kind of like this uh like legendary dwarf now and and you do meet him in the game like you can you can find your way to him you can i think you have to like dig your way to him basically mm -hmm. um and gimli is voiced by john reese davies the guy who played oh, nice. gimli in the lord of the rings movies so that's cool. uh, so it's like a fun little like easter egg to the movies and just like some something familiar for fans mm -hmm. and um so so far all i've seen from the game and reviews and gameplay it looks really good yeah i was watching gameplay while you were talking for a little bit yeah and it was it looks fun so uh i mean i haven't played it but based on like what this looks like compared to the Gollum game um if you are interested in this kind of thing like a little survival almost like a sandbox game mm -hmm. um i would say get it i would say it's probably worth the money get it 40 bucks uh for yeah 40 bucks and i mean like the um the Gollum game was like $60 and it was definitely not worth it. This mm -hmm. one's $40 and 100% worth the money, I would say. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. Get mm -hmm. it. That's my uh, two pieces. 
I'm looking at gameplay now too, so. Okay. Well, you guys ready for the bottom bun? Yeah. Remember, it's toasted. Yeah. So this bottom <laughs> bun, um, Rome to host. This is the uh, t- headline. Rome to host Italy's first major Tolkien exhibition. Oh. So this year um, is the 50th anniversary of Tolkien's death, um, and in Italy they're holding a um, major exhibition exhibition in the natural or National Gallery of Modern Art, which is in Rome. Um, so it's titled J.R. Tolkien, 1973 to 2023, Man, Professor, Author. Um, and so the Italian culture minister, who was strongly in favor of hosting the exhibition, confirmed that the show will open November 15th. Uh, and uh, it'll compromise. It will have more than 150 works, including photographs, documents, letters, and virtual reconstructions of the first editions of the books from which the blockbuster fantasy trilogy is based off of. Yes. Um, um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just this... Um, uh, here's a quote from the article. It said, The exhibition will co- compromise... Be compromised... Or composed. Sorry. Yeah, compromised. <laughs> it's, it's compromised. <laughs> the exhibition will be composed of scientific part of a scientific part with books, letters, and documents, and a multimedia part that will showcase Tolkien's plans in a spectacular way, as well as presenting everything that revolves around the fantasy world created by Tolkien. Um, finally, it will be possible to immerse yourself in the world of Middle-earth thanks to the reproduction and loop of the full version of Lord of the Rings. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, he said, finally, it will be possible to immerse yourself in the world of Middle-earth. I feel like that's what the books do, but... yeah. You know, it's an exciting thing. Grant and I will not be there unless they reach out to us and pay for us to yeah, go there. Right. Um, which uh, they probably will. We'll see. I'm yeah. just kidding, dude. Hey, if you guys, if you guys are listening, uh, hit us up and we'll go. We would love to go. We will represent the podcast community of of Tolkien. Middle Earth. Yeah. Of Middle Earth. Yeah, and we'll also represent America mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point too. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I got for. Oh, that's a. That's, That's a nice toasted bun. Nice cold nice cut combo we got there. Now, we've got our cold cut combo of Middle Earth current events together, and why don't you guys just go ahead and take a bite of that and yeah. tell us how it tastes. That's, yeah, that's we're what go- we expected. Yeah, yeah, we're glad. It's good. Glad. Yeah, we knew it. Mm. Yep. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the podcast. Um, next up, uh, let me let me see book what we got two, here. Book two, that's the end of book we one. Got, yeah, we got book two of... Um, the Fellowship of the Ring, which starts with fifteen sixteen, with uh, fifteen and sixteen, the Ring goes south and a journey in the dark. So now we're going to start to get to Moria, mm. uh, which we were just talking about. Mm. So yeah, um, so get in the mood and play the uh, Return yeah, to Moria the, game. Yeah, play Return to Moria. Get in the mood. Read those two chapters. Get in the mood. Um, uh, for us right now, uh, tomorrow is Halloween. Mm. Um, it's October thirtieth when we're recording this. Uh, so wish you guys a happy Halloween. Stay safe mm-hmm. out there. Well, <laughs> it's already happened. Hopefully you guys yeah. stayed safe. Um, hopefully uh, you guys had plenty of candy to eat as well. Mm-hmm. Watch some fall Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. I just watched uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone last night. Oh yeah, my wife and I have to start our uh, trilogy or not trilogy uh, watch through of them. Yeah, well, well, that's what my wife and I were doing too. We were, we were just like we were <laughs> we were gonna do it starting in October, so uh-huh. we like we would finish. Halloween mm-hmm. with the Deathly Hallows Part Two, but um, we just watched the first yeah. one. You guys, the day hey, you guys, hey, you, if you guys binge watch them all right now, you can finish them by Halloween. That's true, but yeah, we got real busy, so mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, we'll just watch it through November, which mm-hmm. is a pretty good time. Fall yeah. time is a good time. To watch yeah, fall Harry time Potter. is a good time. I'm gonna start reading Harry Potter again. I think probably in the oh, new nice. year. Have you finished your Tolkien read through? No. Oh. Uh, I am making good progress on it, but I don't like. Good. I read it at work, mm-hmm. but I don't read it at home, so mm. it just kind of it's a little slow. Yeah, right I know now. what you mean. But I'm halfway through the two towers. Nice. It's, it's just taking me a little while. So you're halfway through the whole thing. Halfway through. Well, the whole I guess thing. you're way yeah, past halfway because you did the Silmarillion and the Hobbit. And I, yeah, yeah, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Then once I'm done with the Lord of the Rings, depending on the timing, I will turn to Narnia. Hmm. for the Christmas season. If I've got some in-between time, I will keep reading the Anne of Green Gables series and whatever other yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. folklore books I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I have that Welsh folklore book that I kind of paused reading for a second. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's all that I've got going on. Uh, yeah. You got any books going on? 
Uh, I'm still reading the Brothers Karamazov. Yeah, I'm just yeah. over halfway. It's really good. Same it's as last time book. I read it. It's pretty big. Yeah. Um, but it's a good book. Good. You know, with those big books, people are always like daunted by them. But yeah. once you actually yeah. get into them, it's not that hard. Yeah, it's, it's easier just, easier to understand the more you read it too. And I do like big books because you get to more spend time get you get to more yeah. get to spend more time yeah. in the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes sense. And then I guess some the only other book I'm reading is called Trout Tactics. It's an it's just a by Joe Humphreys. It's a book about trout, trout fishing. Tactics. Yeah, it's n- it's a nonfiction. It's it's literally just trout tactics. It's yeah. good learning tactics. There you go. Yeah, trout tactics. Well, from all of us here, from this in the studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. And thank you for exploring Middle Earth.